0: Welcome to the Go! Podcast. Go! aspires to engage the local church in global missions. We seek to share mission stories that encourage, edify, and equip other Christians in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ at home and abroad. This podcast is a part of Liberty Bible Church Global Ministry. Your hosts for Go! are Cami Sandner, a missions partner with Liberty, and joining her is Kevin Cram, pastor of Global Engagement at Liberty Bible Church.
1: Welcome back to Go. Thank you so much for tuning in again. We're grateful to be able to bring you a new episode today, wrapping up a series we started several weeks ago called Cultural Values and the Gospel. In previous conversations on cultural values, we heard some great insight from some of our mission partners about how the values and priorities of particular cultures influence the way missionaries communicate the gospel. We're looking forward to today to bring another voice to round out some of these concepts. So, Kevin, who are we talking to today?
0: So today we're really pleased to be speaking with Andy and Lorna Gilbert. Andy and Lorna serve with the missions organization Reach Global, which is the mission-sending arm of our church's denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And they dedicated over 20 years of ministry in Japan, serving as church planters and in entrepreneurial outreach. And they are currently serving stateside in Reach Global's member care division as pastors to missionaries. So thanks, guys, for being here today.
2: It's great to be with you. Thanks
0: for having us. So could you just open us up uh, by sharing some of your background? You know, what was your ministry um, in Japan like? What did you do? And specifically, what are you doing currently in ministry?
2: Yeah, we went to uh, Fukuoka, Japan in 1995, originally. And um, our main focus during that time was church planting. And so we uh, eventually were a part of th- uh, three different church plants in the Fukuoka area. And then in 2011, the tsunami hit up in northeast Japan. And uh, the Lord said, hey, go up there and move into that area and and do some work there. So we moved up into a town called Ishinomaki, Japan. That was one of the hardest hit areas uh, that the tsunami hit and took about 10% of the people of that area. So we Jumped in, started doing relief work, cleaning out, mudding houses, meeting owners of homes. Um, eventually, joined two other mission organizations the, to do a Saturday event that uh, passed out needed goods, uh, did hot meals, and was a great place to present Jesus uh, in a very needy uh, setting and moment. And then, eventually, had uh, moved into the next town up, Onigawa, uh, which was a small fishing town that had eighty percent of its infrastructure. Uh, just washed away. And so we moved up into that and started a social enterprise called the Mugumi project. And that was to give ladies uh, work skills to help them move into the next phase of life.
3: And we came back home to America about four years ago. Now Um, we were asked to be a part of the member care team, providing um, care pastors to missionaries for the workers in Japan as well as our crisis response workers worldwide. So we've been doing that for the past several years and part of some of the training and encouragement of missionaries. Um, I've been a part of the development of a leadership training school for women for the Evangelical Free Church of America called Prepared, and excited to be teaching classes with that and coaching women um, Yeah, so that's what we're doing these days, traveling a lot to the various sites where we have our (laughs) workers to encourage and walk beside them. A lot of Zoom calls, (laughs) a lot of emails. That's cool.
1: Well, it sounds like you're doing great work. So when we talk about cultural differences, I imagine that you had fertile ground to explore some of those kinds of differentiating values in Mm -hmm. Japan. So when you think of culture and cultural values, what are some examples that come to mind just from your general experience?
2: Yeah, one of the first things that comes to my mind is the whole concept of saving face. Um, their culture is, especially in the public setting, uh, if you are asked a question or put in a position that could be embarrassing to you or make you look bad, then the whole culture wraps itself around to help you out of that, in mm. a sense. Um, language is built around that. Like, you never say no. If someone <laughs> asks you to do something, you can't say no, but you can not say you're busy. And so that's... Um, the simple way of expressing of how uh, the culture and even language allows you to say no without actually ever saying the word no um, and so that's that's one quick and simple way that shows that mm-hmm. I
3: think another big value that's different is kind of the whole fi- family dynamics um, We as Americans would say that our greatest um, relationship in a sense is husband wife. <clears throat> And so we spend the time and the energy to have a strong husband-wife relationship so that uh, the family core is strong. But in Japan, they say the greatest, strongest relationship is mother-child, and in particular, mother-eldest son. And so you form strong bonds there, um, which kind of upsets the equilibrium of the family in a lot of ways from our biblical perspective of things. Um, they actually have a saying in Japan that talks about what a good husband is, <laughs> and they say a good husband is two things: a good husband is healthy and absent. Oh
0: no! <laughs>
3: and the reason for that is he's healthy. That means he's working and providing for the family, and he's absent. It means he's not more work for the wife. So she's putting all her time and energy into the children. And so it's, uh, she doesn't have to worry about him. He's healthy and absent and he, he's providing for them. So some wives don't even know um, really what their husbands do at work. There's no such thing as, you know, company picnics with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a wedding invitation um, for work people, it's usually just for the husband. We had a missionary accidentally show up with her husband to a wedding and they didn't have a place for her. Oh, it was a no. very awkward <laughs> setting because we just assume, you know, something like that includes a wife. But it really doesn't. Husbands have their whole separate life. And so it just makes it very different when you're trying to reach out to families.
2: The highest divorce rate in Japan is among retirees.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah.
2: Partly because the husband's now home and they don't know what to do with each other.
0: That's interesting. It is fascinating when I, I was actually in Japan uh, a couple months ago and going around Tokyo we we'd enter these neighborhoods of Tokyo that were all like magnets for these they would call them salarymen, like the the businessmen that would, you know, take the train into Tokyo on Monday and literally spend all their time and nights in mm-hmm. in the city before they went out to their families on the weekend. And they they would have their own little hotels and they would have their own little karaoke bars and their own little cantinas. It was just a weird culture. <laughs> just we I just had never experienced anything like it, but it kind of speaks to that kind of priority of relationships and things like mm-hmm. that, that you're talking about. Well, well, kind of adjusting to, to not, not just the culture, but our experience of different cultures. When we talk about someone moving into another country, Uh, They usually talk about the disorientation that people experience when they're adjusting to these new values. And we use the popular term culture shock to describe that phenomenon. So kind of being in the care side of ministry, I'm sure you've encountered that in new missionaries and probably have experienced it yourself. Um, So what is it like being immersed in another culture and why is that so disorienting for a person?
2: Yeah, I mean, you have obviously had the language differences and most settings that by nature puts you in an infantile position,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: is for most of us adults is very uncomfortable. We like to know who we are, what to do, when to do it. But now you are in a position, you know, virtually nothing. And then all your cultural clues are gone. Right. You know, you know, for example, when someone has you over to their home, you know, in America, it's kind of clear when it's time to leave. <laughs> Sometimes the dialogue ends. But in Japan, it's very different you uh it's when they change you know they've been serving you tea and all of a sudden an hour and a half later than that suddenly they're serving you coffee (laughs) it's it's the change of drink that's a cue they think it's time for you to leave that's interesting oh your cultural clues just are completely different and so you're lost you know you're you're sitting in every situation expecting a certain clue to come out and it never comes but they're giving you the clues. In their own culture, and you're not picking them up. And so it takes a lot of time and energy and really intentionality to pick those up and learn and adjust and learn how to be an infant and grow into adulthood, um, which is not always easy. Not everyone handles that well.
3: And even going to the grocery store, I remember asking my language teacher once, How do I say to the clerk who's checking me out, have a good day, like when you finish up? And she's like, well, you don't. And I'm like, well, no, I just want to say, you know, have a good day. You know, have a conversation trying to, you know, just talk with the clerk." She goes, well, you don't. And so I realized, okay, you really, you don't. I watched people. They don't. And Mm -hmm. we've had Japanese friends who have been here in America. And they said one of the most stressful things is going to the grocery store and having to answer questions when the clerk tries to talk to you.
0: Mm -hmm. Because they
3: just don't know how to handle that. So even Mm on the opposite side of it. So just everyday life take so much energy and thought because you just don't have your normal clues around you or your cues for how to, how to greet someone, how to leave a conversation, how to end Mm -hmm. a conversation, how to have a relationship, all of those clues.
2: A bag of uh, salt thinking it's a bag of sugar. Oh no. (laughs) And salt doesn't taste good in coffee. (laughs) Oh. So yeah, there's just, there's, everything is so different. And, And then, you know, like in, Asian language where you can't read early on, then you have that added uh, challenge, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, I got actually one specific one. In a previous episode, we talked about, like, one of the cultural values of power distance, you know, like – Uh, so in America, we're very egalitarian. Like we, we call our leaders by our first name. There's a casual like nature with it, but in Japanese and Eastern East Asian cultures, the power distance is really high. And so there's like a high degree of respect for hierarchy and authority. And, um, you accept your place within that hierarchy. Um, and so we talked about what Challenges that created for someone coming from East Asia to America. But what was that like for, as an American being a egalitarian American going into Japan <laughs> and encountering those kind of power distance things?
2: It caused regular uncomfortable moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing they do when you introduce, you meet someone for the first time, you have your business card, your Meishi, and you hand it to them facing to them so they could read it so that they can immediately determine are they higher than you or lower than you? Right. And so it starts off from the very first time you meet them is that, that distancing, you know? And so from that moment, language determines is determined by that position. So if you are lower, you have to speak very honorable to them. And if they're higher, they speak down to you. Hmm. And so that begins from the moment you meet someone uh, in, in that, you know, and one of the biggest challenges for us is we really want to bring the gospel, that this is for everybody. There's no class structure within within the gospel presentation. But when you're the pastor, you're the sensei, they immediately put you up. Hmm. So you cannot have normal Mm day-to-day dialogue with that person. It, It limits how deep you go, what you talk about, and so forth. And it and makes presenting the gospel actually quite difficult. We saw this really play
3: out in a different way when we moved from the area we were doing church planning into the tsunami area. Because now you have all these different people coming into the tsunami area to help, and they're all volunteers. And so they just looked at us like volunteers. So we went from being like Andy Sensei and Lorna Sensei, you know, like Teacher Andy or Pastor Andy, Teacher Lorna, to being um, Andy Kuhn and Lorna Chan, which was kun means like what you call little boy, or it's an endearing <laughs> term. It's like what you call your child. And Lorna Chan is like little girl, you know. And, and and so the the relationships that we had in the tsunami area because of that hierarchical piece being gone was just day and night and the opportunities to just speak with people and befriend people and to walk beside. That's was so different. And it would be funny because sometimes somebody from the South would come up who knew us as Andy Sensei <laughs> and Bona Sensei. And they'd be calling us Sensei. And
2: people are like, what? <laughs> well, they'd be calling, get, get about Sensei. And people look around. Who is that? Because <laughs> we purposely played that down. We we did not want to be called Sensei. We, we liked the fact that we were just a, a person walking with them in life. Mm. And it was this. Huge difference yes. in ministry opportunities as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So I kind of want to just circle back or, or continue on the theme of <clears throat> cultural values that you observed in your time over in Japan. In particular, I'm curious to hear about your understanding of the the honor and shame value in East Asian cultures. I think the concept is, is pretty significant for just our general understanding of, of what we mean. But maybe you could explain what exactly that, that value is and how those values manifest themselves in Japanese culture.
2: Yeah, as I was even talking just briefly, um, you know, the whole sense of honor starts off from the first time you meet someone and then it just goes up, you know, according to they have different languages based upon how high of a honor, like to God is the highest honor of the emperor gets the same language as God, because they still kind of consider him a God, is a whole different language thing that gives honor to them. And so that it kind of builds to your boss, your boss's boss, and then it just kind of goes off like that. And with that then, kind of honestly, the opposite is the higher honor you have, the more shame you can bring mm-hmm. to someone. And so it really is very much a place of power m- most of the time. Uh, not just a place of honor. It's, it's a place that they can uh, really put you in your place. Uh, simple thing, the pastor we worked with when we were first in Fukuoka was learning Japanese. And uh, his, you know, as the pastor, he was kind of my senpai, he was the guy above me. And so I had to give, tried to give him honor. But he told me once, he goes, you know, my two-year-old speaks better Japanese than you. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm saying, yeah, I was a little bit offended to be well, honest with you. Yeah,
0: well, like of <laughs> course, she's <course>. grown <laughs> I don't up with think it. Anyone would have that reaction yet.
2: But over time, I realized that that was just very much a Japanese position of shaming me not to embarrass me as much as to challenge me to do better.
0: Mm. You know, actually I want, I want to explore the, the the flip side of that honor with the shame, because when we think mm-hmm. of shame in our Western culture, we just more associate it with the negative emotion. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, I feel bad about something, but shame is so much more complex and deeper in these types of cultures and societies. Can you maybe speak a little bit about like, what do we mean when we talk about shame And what is its function as a cultural value in Japan? I think
3: part of the shaming, how they use it, is to um, control the culture. Mm. And so... And it's often related to family and you're bringing shame, not to yourself, but to your family. So you do this, you're bringing shame to your family or you're bringing shame to whatever group or your town or your business or however it plays out. And so it is used as a means to like encourage you to do better, but it's also used to keep you in your place Mm -hmm. in the sense of how you're shamed into doing something. And you could see this in the business world with men who commit suicide. Um, Who've maybe not done well in the business, or even a group of bankers years ago had embezzled money and they all committed suicide Um, because they have brought shame to their family. They have brought shame to their company by their actions. But now you have the opposite the honor. It's the honorable thing to kill yourself. Wow. And so the way to get out of the shame is to do the honorable thing, which in this case is to kill yourself. And then it it provides for your family. Um, because you still get insurance money. Life
2: insurance isn't canceled on suicide. No.
0: Really, that's so fascinating. That's very yeah. different and, from here. Yeah.
2: Well, it goes back to the bushido. You know the, um, what do you call it? How do you know, the killing yourself when you get captured by an enemy. You kill yourself. That's an honorable way to end. Versus they capture you and which is a shameful way. Which is a shameful way to get captured. So that's where the whole self, you know, committing suicide in them. They kind of, even though they don't do that physically, it's kind of lingers. That that old bullshit right. mentality lingers into contemporary culture through that means. Wow. But there's still a time to kill yourself in order to, um, you've done something very shameful.
0: That's wow. that's wild. So you mentioned a little bit when we talked about power distance and hierarchy, and and but what are some also some of the other challenges or obstacles that you have found that uh, these differing cultural values create for people trying to communicate the gospel in Japan? Um, like, what are some of your experience <clears throat> in learning how to effectively bridge that cultural gap, so to speak?
2: I think one of the biggest challenges is. I think when you're in order to really present the gospel, you got to get to know people. It's a relational thing for the most part, right? And so, what we have always done in America is part of that is just being vulnerable, it's sharing the struggles you had and Mm -hmm. what led you to come to Christ. But in Japan, the spoken word is a public domain. So, if you say something, even if you ask them, you know, this is just between us, they think it's just between us for two weeks. Because if you've told them something, you're going to tell everybody else. And so whatever yeah. you say to them is going to go, eventually it's going to be public knowledge. Everyone's going to know. And, and, and so that makes you very cautious of what you share.
0: And that and brings that's out the, the, shame, the shame in the honor parts,
2: yeah. Right. It's a, it's a piece of it and, and vice versa. So they're very hesitant to tell you what their struggles are or what is stirring whatever interest spiritually may be there. And so you really have this difficulty of connecting at a level that makes the gospel really presentable to the people.
3: So the the shame culture keeps you from being honest, but then it's also this different area that you don't understand grace and love. Hmm. There's not this understanding of what does it mean that it's okay to fail? I mean, that's just unheard of because that brings shame, you know, and, yeah. and so this grace and love culture is so hard to communicate in a short amount of time. That's why long-term missions is so important. You need to be there. You need to be with the people. And we found by running a business, a social enterprise where we employed women, we were seeing them every day and we were able to establish a business based on love and grace, mm. which was just unheard of. And it was so interesting. Um, we had a, um, we were interviewed for TV as um, some somebody that was helping and to rebuild the community of this town of Onagawa. And when the interviewer came in, was asking, interviewing these ladies, it was so interesting to hear their responses um, for how they feel about working in this setting. And at one point, the interviewer turned off everything, just sat down and said, explain this to me. I don't understand. And because the ladies were saying, we come, and our stress goes away. Oh, sweet. When we come here, and the, people are like, well, wait a minute. No, you go to work and it's more stress. That's the Japanese <laughs> culture. That's the Japanese way. I mean, you make it hard. You make it shameful. You make a, people. And, and so, this, the whole concept of being able to work with these women, to be able to love them, um, we had a motto that um, it's okay to fail. Because we were doing sewing projects and we can always tear it out, you know, and and so there's even a motto of failure is okay and how to build up on that. And so being with these women, working with them day in and day out in a love grace environment is what was slowly changing the hearts. And so it's a lot to overcome and it takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, life on life. You, you just got to be in there. You got to be in the trenches with the people to be able to have those opportunities to show grace. And-
2: in Fukuoka, we found that we were doing a lot of intellectual mm-hmm. teaching. You know, We were teaching truths, You know, and we had settings, but we realized it really was never getting to the heart. Even the fear that came to Christ, it was always very intellectual level. But when we moved up north, and especially with uh, in Onagawa, we found that people were experiencing the truth of Christ in their heart long before their mind understood it. Mm. And so once once we had the opportunity to explain more clearly the truth itself, they understood it because they've already experienced much of it. Wow.
0: Yeah. The of
2: Christ, grace of Christ. And that was, a, that was a huge difference in ministry fruitfulness, ministry results, uh, People who come to Christ stayed. You know, they've delved into what it means to walk with Jesus. Uh, in the South, we found that people quickly fell, fell away. Mm. You know, five, what was it? Uh, three out of five baptized believers uh, fall away within-, fell away within five years. Wow. And so we did find that it's a lot more work, it's a lot slower, but it was much deeper and lasting we found. That's fascinating.
1: So what kind of advice would you want to give a new missionary or someone exploring the possibility of serving cross-culturally? How would you maybe encourage them or guide them in preparing to meet some of these like barriers or just cultural challenges that we've talked about?
3: I think the biggest thing is to know the truth know the truth of God's word, know God's word inside and out, live it in your life so that when you go into another culture, you're able to see how does this align with truth? Because regardless of cultural cues or habits or different you know values that we've talked about, the Bible is true, it's absolute. And it fits in every culture because it's God and he created every culture, every person. We understand the truth well enough to know how does this get in this culture, how to speak truth into the hearts of the people in a way that they can understand it. And the only way we can do that is to know
2: the truth inside and out. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> what contextualization out. is, right? It's bringing, learning how to take the truth into this, this culture. And that includes me knowing what is anti-God and what is is okay. It's not anti-God, it's just neutral. And to be able to say the gospel can come in this way—that's
0: yeah, yeah.
2: great. Um, are there any? You want more on this?
0: No, this is good. I, I really—that's that, great.
1: That's perfect. Thank you guys for being here today with us, Andy, Lorna. Your story is is so incredible.
3: Well, thanks. 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 Fun to be here. <laughs>
1: So before we wrap up our episode, we want to end with our notes of personal reflection. We try and do this every week. So, Kevin, how are you going to lean into prayer this week as a result of our conversation?
0: Um, I love this this conversation because I felt like more than um, anything, any episode that we've had so far, it really got to some of these core issues. Um, you know, some of the examples that that Andy and Lorna gave. Um, of these cultural values is exactly what I had in mind when we were kind of thinking through and planning this. Um, And it's so illuminating to me um, because it just scratches the surface of how complex and difficult and intricate um, trying to communicate uh, the gospel with, with these differing values and these differing uh, ways of seeing the world are. Um, And so for me, I guess very simply, it's just, it just renews my commitment um, to helping people and training people to be able to um, meet some of these challenges, but also just in prayer, like for um, people that are going into the field, going to serve cross culturally, uh, that they would have the stick to itiveness, longevity, um, the the eyes to see and the openness to be able to um, to be able to learn and adapt in these ways. It's just an incredible challenge that missionaries face. Not just learning the language, but really getting beyond and below the language to learn these types of different ways of people that people think and behave and act is really significant. And so, I just really appreciate the insight that they gave today.
1: Absolutely, I agree. I also think it's it's really special because when you learn these small little things, well, I guess they're big in the culture, but these things can translate to our relationship with Christ. You know, you have that fear and that awe. And that's similar to the to the honor shame value and principle and so I think once you learn that culturally what's okay and what's not, you can then implicate that into your study of the gospel, and that spreads it a little bit more effectively. But I do love the longevity I love the day to day life, and I think that's what's so crucial yeah. about anything, whether it's sharing the gospel here at work or going abroad yeah, so
0: that's great. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening. We aspire to give you real life stories and experiences to help you in your current phase of life.
1: As always, you can tune in for our next episode in two weeks and remember to go and make your life a mission.